I am issuing an urgent call for churches, church leaders, and members to pray for another outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we might get the help we so obviously need to get our own act together as the people of God. We will never fulfill our mission to shed the light of Christ into our lost and hurting world if others do not perceive the light shining in the midst of our life together. That's the Reverend Dr. Lee Spruill, and today he shares a powerful message of faith entitled, The Yearning to Belong and Christian Witness. I'm Peter Wallace, and this is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. In 1945, we began broadcasting every week as the Protestant Hour, and since 2002, as Day One. In 2020, we proudly celebrate 75 years of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ around the world. Now, here's your host, Peter Wallace, to introduce today's preacher. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're pleased to welcome the Reverend Dr. R. Lee Spruill, rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Before coming to St. George's in 2005, Lee was rector of St. Mark's Episcopal Church in Jacksonville, Florida, associate rector at St. Luke's in Birmingham, Alabama, and assistant rector at St. James's in Richmond, Virginia. He received his bachelor's from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and earned his Master of Divinity from the School of Theology at the University of the South in Suwannee, Tennessee. He was awarded a Doctor of Ministry degree from Wycliffe College in the University of Toronto in 2018. Lee, welcome to Day One. Thank you, Peter. It's my honor. You've served as Rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Nashville for some 15 years now. Paint us a portrait of the parish, its people, and its ministries. Well, it has been an incredibly uh, blessed experience for me to serve there. And I would describe St. George's as, uh, first of all, one of those parishes that was planted right after World War II, mm-hmm. uh, our mother church in downtown Nashville, Christ Church, sent uh, about 350 of its members to plant a new congregation mm-hmm. in 1949. So we just celebrated our 70th anniversary mm-hmm. uh, last year. St. George's is filled with a lot of uh, community and cultural leaders, people of resourcefulness. I've often said that uh, we have more leaders per square inch than anywhere else <laughs> I've ever served. We are what we would call a, a corporate-sized mm-hmm. Episcopal church. We're approaching about 4,000 members now. And having said that, we are a diverse church. We have, I think, more cultural uh, diversity than perhaps our reputation might uh, mm-hmm. seem to suggest, given mm-hmm. our location in one of the older suburbs uh, just west of downtown Nashville. And it is also a church that I believe is committed to embodying more deeply our Lord's Great Commission. Mm. And we have a lot of conversation about how uh, mission, uh, both outreach and evangelism, would more and more become the organizing principle for for our ministries there. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's, a, it's a great parish, and I'm very thankful to serve there. And you and your congregation have been addressing a number of issues and challenges and opportunities that I'd like to ask you about. One is worship. 
how do you form people who regard coming together to worship on Sundays as the focal point of their week, which is not easy in these days of complicated personal schedules. So what have you found? We are not unlike other churches across the land, I understand. We have growing membership, Mm -hmm. and at the same time, our worship attendance remains relatively flat in these past five years or so. So I like to say that we seem to have more and more members coming to church less and less. Mm -hmm. What is that about? What's going on there? I think it is the case, at least for the parish I serve, that so many of our members have other options and Mm -hmm. in some cases other commitments on Sunday morning. Um, I don't like to uh, blame the culture around us, but um, children's sports, Mm -hmm. second homes, travels, whether they're personal vacation travels or um, uh, travel to see other family and friends. Uh, I, in my 23 years of ordained ministry, don't think I've ever quite experienced so much of all of that Mm -hmm. competing for people's time on Sunday morning in the life of the church. So how is it that we can help people understand that our worship together uh, is the most important activity of the week? Well, first of all, it's not a work that we're going to accomplish. I mean, that is, I want to say, (laughs) first of all, a work of God through Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. We do believe in our tradition, we're inheritors of this very beautiful uh, worship form, our Mm -hmm. liturgy from the Book of Common Prayer. We're a church that adheres to the to the Book of Common Prayer and its structures, and that that liturgy itself uh, has a formative influence on people. We try to call people to our staff who are effective communicators, winsome in their witness to the gospel. So we place an emphasis on preaching mm-hmm. um, and uh, equally uh, an emphasis around coming together as the body of Christ at his altar. So all of our Sunday services involve the sacrament of Holy mm-hmm. Communion. And part of what you're speaking of, along with attendance, is building a sense of belonging, a place that people consider their primary place of social belonging. And you'll talk about this challenge in your sermon today. So have you found ways to address this need that so many people are missing in life? Oh, gosh, this is our biggest opportunity and biggest challenge. Mm -hmm. Uh, In a congregational environment that has many hundreds of different people and multiple services, how can we create opportunities for people to get to know one another? Many of our members come to church with those pre-existing relationships, Mm. their friends from their neighborhoods, from um, their children's school environments, uh, from growing up in Nashville. But Nashville, not unlike other cities, uh, is a, is a, place where new people are moving and they don't Mm -hmm. know each other. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, goals that we have at St. George's is to become a community where when we are together, it's less in sort of the programmatic ministries of the church with clergy or staff standing at the front of a room, Mm -hmm. speaking from a pulpit or a lectern, but more and more opportunities where our members can get together themselves and learn how to encourage one another uh, in their growth in the faith, to disciple one another. And so at the core of the answer to that question, how can we create a greater sense of belonging in our parish, is just the ongoing, if I may say, relentless Mm. focus on getting people together in groups. 
smaller groups, more mid-sized groups, even just coming together with a group of new friends once a month for a meal Mm -hmm. in people's homes. And you've also been seeking to develop and nurture a culture of discipleship, moving beyond a default mindset where, as you say, clergy and staff are responsible for ministry. But how can church ministers take more responsibility in that? Well, firstly, we need to identify those people that we are able to invest in, Mm -hmm. who are open to receiving our own personal investment of time and energy, and then do just that. Mm -hmm. So we're not absolved from uh, our own need to disciple our parish leaders. One of the places where we notice um, hiccup mm-hmm. in, in the vision is that it's easier for us who are clergy leaders to invite people into small groups than it is at the end of some term, mm-hmm. let's say one year, encouraging those members to start their own groups. So it is an ongoing challenge to encourage our parish leaders who are incredibly gifted Mm -hmm. and capable leaders in their own fields uh, to feel confident Mm -hmm. that that they are well enough equipped to lead their friends in questions around, well, what is God doing in your life this week? How do you want to respond to that? What do you make of this passage of scripture? And that being a discipler of others doesn't mean you have all the answers. In fact, perhaps it begins simply being one who's learned how to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. Lee, your sermon today for the fourth Sunday of Easter is based on Acts chapter 2. Would you read the passage for us? Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is a fascinating snapshot of the early church. What stands out for you as you read the text? Well, as I say in my sermon, uh, it is possible to uh, idealize life in the early church. I mean, there's a reason we have all those letters from St. Paul. They had a lot of problems and (laughs) need a lot of correction. What impresses me um, in this text, and it's a familiar text Mm -hmm. to those of us who want to paint a biblical picture of what congregational life can look like, is uh, their frequency of gathering. Mm day by day, that seems to the people that I love and serve an awfully high bar. (laughs) We have uh, done a lot of thinking and praying and talking about how our church could deepen its sense of belonging with more and more of our members. And I think it is safe to say, I think this is a safe assertion, that the number one impediment to that in our parish life is people's busyness. Mm -hmm. And people are busy with good things. They're not frittering away their time as much as they are perhaps in some cases overscheduled, overcommitted. And as you know, the old saying, too much of a good thing is still just too much. (laughs) 
Lee, your sermon is entitled, The Yearning to Belong and Christian Witness. Thanks for sharing it with us. Again, thank you, Peter. I would like to tell you a tale of two churches. First, as is customary in the Easter season, we hear this week in Scripture from the book of Acts, the story of the early church. It is from the second chapter. And what we hear is truly astonishing. It is about the character of life for this brand new and tiny minority religious group, those earliest Christians who came to faith right after Pentecost in Jerusalem. These first Jesus followers are trying to work out what it means being caught up in the Holy Spirit with the living Lord. There is no better record of Christian community, of spiritual and social solidarity in the Bible, no more beautiful vision of intentional belonging in church history. This text from Acts chapter 2 offers a window view into the extraordinary things that were happening to these first Christian believers in the months after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. What do we see? Utter devotion in their worship of the Lord. The early Christians are filled with awe and gratitude, constantly praising God and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. It seems clear that worship, praise, and prayer are this community's first order of business. We also see a picture of intense belonging. Luke, the author of Acts, wants to stress that these first believers are together a lot. They meet with great frequency. I imagine they get to know each other quite well, warts and all. And they look after each other no matter what. There is radical sharing of anything that anyone may need. And we see that this obscure new community very quickly develops the goodwill of many others outside its membership. Citizens of Jerusalem look at this new association of friends and families and they say, Wow, what is going on with these people? I'm having whatever they're having. And we are told day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. A tale of one church. Now, a tale of a second church. This one takes place much more recently in the United Kingdom. I was listening several years ago to an interview with an Anglican priest in the Church of England, Jonathan Arnold. He is an accomplished singer, having sung and traveled with the well-known choral group, the Talis Scholars. He's also been a staff singer at St. Paul's Cathedral in London. Arnold was talking about being at the York Minster Early Music Festival in the historic city of York, England. They host a large sacred music event there every year. During the festival, he observed a couple thousand people standing in line to buy tickets to hear the York Minster Choir sing at one of the festival concerts. What struck him was this. The concert included pretty much the very same music the choir sings every day at a worship service called Choral Evensong. Usually, this prayer service is attended by a small smattering of people, but it's free. In fact, that worship service of Choral Evensong was going on daily during the festival. Why would these people pay for what you could get for free anytime? Well, because at the music festival, it was a concert, not worship. People paid an entrance fee, preferring to be spectators instead of participants. 
audience members instead of prayer partners, a gathered community of believers, brothers and sisters together in the presence of God. These tales of two churches could not be more different. One from the book of Acts, a fellowship of deep belonging and worship and goodwill, and the second church, the modern one, despite its grand beauty and glorious history, experienced as a mere concert venue. What do we make of this? Lest we American Christians think that the issues of growing secularization and declining church engagement are modern European phenomena, there is a wealth of social survey data now suggesting our own situation may more closely resemble that sacred music festival in England than the Jerusalem church described in Acts chapter 2. I reference here merely one such source, Timothy Carney's 2019 book, Alienated America, Why Some Places Thrive While Others Collapse. This timely but sobering read about the growing problem of loneliness and isolation experienced by so many Americans has this very telling bit of information. Those in our culture who self-describe as moderately religious that is to say, those who believe but are not very engaged in the religious life of a believing community, these are the ones who are less happy and less fulfilled than those who profess no religious belief at all. In other words, the key is not believing, but believing and belonging. Because to believe and not to belong is a sign of something terribly amiss. What if one of the greatest gifts the contemporary church could offer our broken and alienated society was a vision of intense social belonging such as we hear described in Acts today? What if our best testimony to the life of Jesus was our life together? How might that engender the goodwill of all the people? Or is it easier for many of our churches to point the finger outward in identifying sources of social fragmentation and cultural division rather than inwardly. I am issuing an urgent call for churches, church leaders, and members to pray for another outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we might get the help we so obviously need to get our own act together as the people of God. We will never fulfill our mission to shed the light of Christ into our lost and hurting world if others do not perceive the light shining in the midst of our life together. I cannot tell you how many times I hear someone say something like this. The church is just as angry or divided or uncaring or selfish or scandalized as the rest of the world. And that is a scandal to hear. Loneliness, the disappearance of community, the loss of social networks, the feeling of having to go it alone, even in church, like buying tickets to a concert rather than experiencing community. All this describes our mission field, and it begins within the church itself. This is our reality. But in this season of Easter, we Christians return to the greatest reality of them all. Our God lives. Jesus is alive, and he is still doing what he did when he first started his ministry, calling disciples into fellowship with his living body, located, grounded, unconquerable as the community of faith, the church. I find it so very interesting that in John's gospel, 
the first question Jesus asks of his first disciples is this, what are you looking for? And they respond with their own question, where are you staying? They did not ask for spiritual insight or answers to life's most difficult questions. They asked to be with Jesus, and they went together to stay with him. Christianity by its very nature is a social as well as spiritual reality. There are no individual Christians. There are only Christians who belong to one another in belonging to Christ. And I note, too, that places in the Gospels where Jesus is alone, first I think of the desert temptation story, aloneness as an arena where Satan has easy access to us. Jesus is the Son of God, of course, and is able to fend off the allure of the devil. But what of the rest of us who experience isolation and loneliness? And I think also Jesus experiences aloneness in the desertion of his disciples at the time of his crucifixion on the cross itself. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The good news is that Jesus has been to those places of deep loneliness, isolation, feeling utterly abandoned, even by his own people. And so he identifies with all those who experience such realities in our own day, beginning with his own church. Do we? It is possible to idealize the early church in ways that history and even the New Testament itself do not support. Lord knows the early church had its struggles and failures. But in this case, just because we have an ideal does not mean it is a fiction. I take this passage as an historically accurate account, one that both inspires and challenges me. And I suspect you too, my listener. We do not often experience church together like it is described in Acts chapter 2. Do not lose heart. For I want to say that there is already a movement of the Spirit afoot when we even want the experience of deeper community. Pay attention to that and respond to it in your own local congregation. What would that look like for you in practical ways? Christian community is not a church program. It is at the heart of discipleship, a lifelong commitment to learning our Lord's grace and forgiveness in the real-world laboratory of a local congregation where grace and forgiveness are always, always necessary with one another. We were made not for believing certain things, but for belonging to a certain one. And he left us not a set of sacred doctrines as much as a sacred setting for social belonging. That belonging is not offered primarily for its personal benefits, as important as they may be. That belonging is offered as the place where Jesus shows up, and where Jesus shows up, others take note. Indeed, others are saved. The other day I was listening to a youth minister on our staff talk about a young high school student coming to our Wednesday evening programming, but who is not a member of our congregation. He does go to a high school where some of our youth are enrolled. I saw this boy's mother the other day, he said, and she thanked me, thanked us. She said, this community on Wednesday night is changing him. He fights to keep his time available to come, regardless of other commitments. He belongs, and he knows it here. Thank you. I suspect the belief is coming. 
If you are the type of person who is listening to this, then you are probably the type of person who has a lot of other commitments and interests. It is hard to shoehorn our commitment to Christ's people into all our other activities, but we are those who inhabit several worlds at once. Our Lord works through relationships because that is the nature of who God is and how He saves through Jesus Christ. It is also how God is seen in a world mostly blind to His glory. Our relationships with each other are the criteria the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. And I cannot think of a more exciting calling than that. Let us pray. O God, help us who belong to you through Jesus Christ our Lord to call upon you for a greater outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that we might draw closer to you through your drawing closer to us and to one another. Give us wisdom to discern how our local congregations of faith may embody the love of Jesus, prove to be the grounding of the gospel in our particular contexts, and thereby shine your light, extend your grace to those who do not know you. Amen. Our preacher today was the Reverend Dr. R. Lee Spruill, rector of St. George's Episcopal Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For a free transcript of his sermon, The Yearning to Belong and Christian Witness, call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day 1, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Please keep in mind that Day One depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. Send your donation to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. We're grateful for your support. This is Peter Wallace. Next week, the Reverend Dr. Lee Spruill returns to Day One with an inspiring sermon on John 14 entitled, The Promise of Heaven for Here and Now. That's next time on Day One. Lee Spruill offers some final reflections on his sermon today. Lee, you took us back in time to consider this snapshot of the local church found in Acts chapter 2 and the rapid impact that the Christian faith made on the world in a relatively short time. We, we see not only worship, praise, and prayer, we see a picture of an intense belonging. These people were together a lot, as you've pointed out, and others observed them and were drawn to this life, and the Lord added to their number. Some may say, yes, but this was many centuries ago. The world is not the same at all. Life is totally different today. So how would you respond to them? I would respond by first saying, correct. <laughs> the world is a very different place than it was uh, 
in the first century and among those first Christians living in Jerusalem. And the uh, appeal of a text like this is not a kind of nostalgia. Mm. We certainly uh, can't recreate that social situation that they experienced. However, I do believe, I do believe that there are uh, lessons that we can learn from them that actually apply across time in any social mm. context. And it does get to the frequency of their being together. Uh, there was something in the quality of their life together that others around them found highly, mm. highly attractive. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if in our own social situation, we may think of growing the church, God adding numbers day by day, as uh, engaging strangers. Mm-hmm. And certainly we're called to do that. Mm-hmm. But I think that the primary agent of growth for churches is through pre-existing relationships. Mm. And my guess is that those numbers who were being added day by day to the early Jerusalem church were brothers and sisters of some of those first believers, cousins, Mm -hmm. friends, co-workers. And so I think it might be helpful as we think about how we can um, strengthen and perhaps grow our local congregations to think of the people who are already around us in our immediate environment, our immediate neighbors, people that we're already rubbing shoulders with. And you contrasted the church in Acts 2 with another church today in England, which filled up with people who chose to purchase tickets to concerts as spectators rather than engage for free with the same music at a parish evensong. And this speaks of a huge spiritual yearning that you have discerned in these times, the loneliness, the disappearance of community, the loss of social networks in the real world. And all this describes our mission field, you said. Just say more about how you think our churches today might exemplify life together in Christ as the early church did. Well, first of all, I hope I didn't sound cynical using that il- illustration. I love to go to concerts myself, and the parish <laughs> I serve hosts beautiful yes. concerts with sacred music. But I do believe it is illustrative of, I think, a kind of privatized faith in spirituality that many in our culture experience. Mm-hmm. And of course, spirituality is meant to be a personal matter, but I do believe it is in the very nature of who God is in Christ. It's in the nature of the Trinity that God is a relational being and um, the way we experience God is in relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. And so many of the forces of alienation or loneliness in uh, the United States these days they're not caused by the church. Mm-hmm. That's just our that's just our um, context. And I also think that it's the case many people will come to church and they're not particularly interested in a social hour. Mm-hmm. They do want to come and worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And uh, we want to honor that. But I do also think, as I tried to stress in the sermon, that the relational aspect of Christianity is a particularly if I may say it this way, evangelical asset Mm. for a day like our own. Lee, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will keep in mind in the days ahead? I would hope that a listener might contemplate ways that their local congregation could become a more welcoming place for people that they might know who are lonely or isolated. And 
internally with the existing membership of the church, what kinds of things are happening or might happen in that local setting that would help people to share life with each other more rather than just simply rub shoulders on a Sunday morning for a few minutes or offer a quick greeting? How well do we really know each other? Mm. And I think that's a conversation for church leaders to be asking. Lee Spruill, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to having you back next week. Thank you so much. Celebrating 75 years of ministry, Day One is the voice of America's historic Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for listening. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.